te iwi and welcome to a special edition of Playmakers. I have a special guest today who has taken on some leadership roles at some of the most prestigious sporting organisations both here and in Australia. Along the way she's become a trailblazer for women in these positions and now she's returned home to New Zealand taking on the chief executive role at Sport New Zealand. Her name is Raylene Castle. Kia ora Raylene. Kia ora. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving us your time today. I understand you're a busy woman now in your new role. Um, my absolute pleasure, and it's uh, great to be back and uh, great to be here at Sky. Awesome. I'm gonna start with the word leadership, and it's a word, it's a statement, but what does that mean to you? It's an interesting word, because I think people often confuse it with management, and I think those two things are, are really different. I think it's the ability to take an idea or a concept or a plan, um, and take a group of people with you so that they can uh, flourish in their own way, be the best that they can be, uh, bring together the best team that you can bring together uh, and then deliver on whatever it is that you're planning to do. So whether that's in a sporting team environment, whether that's in a business environment from a leadership point of view um, or whether that's even in an orchestra for example. So it's, a, it's that ability to take a group of people and make them the best that they can be to get to an outcome. Now leadership of course, if it was easy, we'd all be, all be doing it. We'd all be sitting in, you know, in chairs such as yours, but it's not. And there have been some tough times in your experience uh, in recent time. When looking at your experience with Rugby Australia before you started there, what was it about that job that excited you? What did you want to bring to the table? Yeah, I did a lot of due diligence before I accepted the role and the thing about rugby is it's an international sport, it has the third largest sporting event in the world with the Rugby World Cup, it's diversifying really well, it's got a great men's programme international but it's also working really hard to grow its women's programme. So there was a lot of things about it that were hugely exciting. The Wallabies were an incredibly strong brand that had um, some great um, history and some great performances over a long period of time, probably inconsistent and not as consistent as they'd like to be. So that was a real challenge and I looked at it and thought why wouldn't I have a go? Like what did I have to lose? Um, you know it was, a, it was an enormous opportunity with a great brand and some really good resources. Yeah and when you did uh, get that role from this side of the Tasman anyway it seemed like you know quite the celebration you know and especially for you know we see one of our you know mana wahine on the stage there taking on this top role feeling you know extremely proud of you and at the time it looked like you had the buy-in as well of them that organization and the fans but it seemed like there was a little bit of a shift. Yeah, I think there was. I think one of the things that's always difficult when you take on a CEO role is that you get employed by a group of people, mainly the board and the board that's in place, uh, and they support you into um, your plans because that's why they've appointed you. Over a period of time, those things change. That's what happens in sporting organisations, um, how you have a governance structure appointed. And I think it is one of the ongoing challenges that you have in a sporting environment is that you have enormously passionate people that have very loud voices and very strong strong views on what it might have been like in the past and the view that they want it to either remain like it was in the past or they think there should be certain voices around that were there previously. So to think about the change that all sport needs to go through, it wasn't just a Rugby Australia, it's many sports even here in New Zealand and the change culture they've tried to go through to bring governance into a modern environment and bring some um, different type of leadership um, into sport can be really challenging. So, you know, I had 
had two and a half years of great support from the board and, and a really um, an opportunity to deliver on the plans that um, I had said that I wanted to deliver on. Um, and then there was a governance change and there were some people on that board that felt that they needed someone else, um, some clear air to, um, to take the, the conversation forward and um, you know, ultimately that was when I resigned. So, yeah. When you look at the things, I mean, you know, there was a big highlight on some of those, you know, key moments that we'll, we'll talk about a little later um, that, you know, kind of pushed you to that decision to make uh, in the end. But when you look at what you achieved at Rugby Australia, what were they and, and what can you walk away from being really proud of? Yeah, I think the, the two main things were, uh, well, it's probably three things. One was to try and bring the sport together at a, a whole of game level, so have all the states and territories across Australia feel like they were part of Rugby Australia and that they were all contributing. Because if you think about the challenges that Australia would face, the rugby programs that you have in New South Wales and Queensland, very different than what you have in a South Australia or a, or a Tasmania, for example. So there's a huge breadth of difference. So we wanted all of those states and territories to feel like they were part of Rugby Australia and I think we achieved that. Um, secondly was uh, introduce a high performance structure which meant there was integration from the 16s um, and from Rugby Australia point of view representative team, 18s into 20s into Super Rugby and into Wallabies. So that was an aligned structure where everyone worked together towards one plan, um, had some leadership that allowed um, it to integrate so we brought in um, Scott Johnson who had that overall role of integrating the Wallabies um, but also thinking about signing that really strong young talent that we had that got runner-up in the under-20s um, to make sure we'd secured that so we didn't lose it because that was a real challenge for unlike um, here in New Zealand different challenges we have a lot of poaching from uh, from rugby league and and sometimes from AFL uh, so it's uh, it's about securing the best talent um, and then appointing a coaching team that we felt had the capability to go through for the next four years so that's a, a platform that um, if it stays in place should give us a stable ability to grow good wallabies in the future um, with a consistent idea of what Australian rugby looks like. Mm. Um, and the third thing was some free-to-air broadcast, uh, which was I didn't get to, to finish the, the broadcast negotiations, um, but they've now completed them and the, and the new guys have done a really great job to to f um, you know, find um, a partner that's prepared to deliver a free-to-air option because it's a very different market in Australia and when your two biggest competitors being um, AFL and NRL have um, significant free-to-air options for people to engage with and fans to engage with, when you don't have that option it makes it very difficult to find profile and relevance. So how do you try, I mean especially while being the CEO, try and, um, I don't know, show people that you know if you give this time that this will succeed how do you try and um, change that you know those old kind of thinking heads yeah it's, it's like any change it doesn't matter what business you're in or what change you're actually going through um, you have to communicate a lot and that's take the story um, spend time with the people that are going to be affected by that change and communicate with them so we did a lot of work inside Rugby Australia around that communication the same as I did when I was CEO of Netball New Zealand and we made a significant structural change mm. around how we went from t um, 12 provinces down to uh, five zones so that was a significant change and I did a roadshow all around New Zealand um, and I went and stood in front of um, every sort of um, province and gave them an opportunity to come. We did a presentation about why we thought the change was right uh, and then we um, allowed people to ask questions and I was prepared to stand there until the very last question had been asked to make sure that they had 
air all their grievances, really have a good debate. If I couldn't answer the question on the spot, I would say, I can't answer that, but I'll let me find out for you and I'll come back to you. So people then feel that they're engaged in the process. And I think that's the piece that um, is the best way to try and get people to, to change with you, is to communicate really well and give them a chance to be involved as part of the process. Mm. It just seemed like, though, because, I mean, it's not like, you know, how we can sit down now and, and chat about it. We could only see it through through the media lens about what was happening. And it looked, you know, very serious that there was a logging of heads and that what you were trying to send in terms of your message about that just wasn't getting through. There were, you know, words like bullying and um, arrogance and, and all these sorts of things. So how were you coping with people's decisions on things when they when they didn't quite see your vision, how did you cope with that? Well, I think one of the whole challenges in, in having arrived back in New Zealand um, uh, now for six weeks is the number one question I've got asked is, oh my goodness, you poor thing, how, how did you cope? And the reality is that it wasn't like it was um, shown in the media. So yes, there was some uh, portions of the media that had a very strong view either that I shouldn't have been the CEO, um, maybe that they should never have had a woman appointed in the first place. Um, and so that always coloured any suggestions or any changes or any recommendations that I made. They had an agenda, they wanted to express their views and it didn't matter what I did, how many times I met with them, when I went and talked to them, um, they nothing was really going to change their view. So the challenging thing is when the general populace is reading that media coverage and for every negative story there was another Juno that was writing either the facts or some, some yeah. supportive constructive yeah. it's just that the negativity often drives the headline these days I mean and that's one of the real challenges clickbait and mm. and if you have a negative um, headline um, that's sort of controversial controversial or exciting then that's where you get the click when you read the story often it doesn't really stack up mm. so that was difficult because the reality of what we were dealing with inside was not like that so what we were doing within rugby the people that we were dealing with the stakeholders the states and territories every single day it wasn't that sort of crazy um, washing machine that the media would have suggested it was. Mm. Ultimately, though, perception um, can turn into reality, and and that was you know that that was a real challenge that I faced, and and I tried really hard, but just couldn't find a way to actually calm that, you know, some of those loud voices. Mm. Um, talking about that, Israel Falau, how did you react when you found out about that tweet? I was really disappointed. Yeah, personally. And professionally, my view was that we'd had an agreement um, that that um, Israel wasn't going to use that that language again. So that was disappointing. Um, I felt uh, compromised because you know I have a responsibility as the chief executive to provide a safe working environment for everybody, uh, and that includes people of diverse views, um, which also means you're trying to create an inclusive environment, and those two things are often quite challenging. So if you think about diversity and inclusion, in some ways they're a bit like oil and water, so they don't always naturally mm. come together. Uh, so people say, oh, it's easy to be inclusive. Sometimes it's not, because people's differing views are very confronting and challenging for people inside an environment. Uh, so how you uh, deal with that is to have people express their uh, views or their opinions in a respectful way. Mm. And, and ultimately, that was for what was an incredibly complex 
issue, and, ha and there has been you know millions of column inches, inches written about it, both in New Zealand, Australia, and also internationally. Mm -hmm. It was really simple. There was an employment contract which we believe was breached, uh, and there was respect was not shown. It wasn't the language wasn't in a respectful manner. So um, it wasn't to the values of Rugby Australia, of which inclusion was something that we held up and um, continue, you know, to really think is an absolutely critical. Um, value in today's modern society as we move forward and think about inclusivity. So yeah, it was really difficult. Um, you know, I've sort of joked that when um, I started the, the role, I didn't think I'd end up as a university case study um, in every sporting <laughs> university about how, how to deal with a, um, you know, a sports star mm. um, that, um, that uses um, a social media platform for um, you know, his own view. So it was, there was lots of learnings. Um, I don't think we got everything right. Uh, and you know there will be uh, many people, and I've had many, many of my colleagues, whether they be in sport or in business, say to me, oh my goodness, we went and had to look at our HR policies and, and suddenly think, my goodness, how would we deal with mm. this if that happened to us? And, and would we have the capability of dealing with it? And how would we deal with it? So it really was something that um, it created an enormous amount of conversation because it affected everyone in everyday life. Mm. You mentioned that oil and water reference, and that's really what it looked like from the outside. He was very staunch in what he believed in and expressing that belief, and you were very um, staunch on policy, but as you say, being inclusive. Was it like that behind the scenes? Did you get along? Did you know him at all as a person? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, yes, I, I did, and, and we... we um, you know, had a number of conversations um, beforehand, obviously, and then we had the first tweet, so I had a lot of conversations with him around that, and then we had the second tweet. So yes, it was it was difficult, and I think, you know, the ch the ongoing challenge was that we had um, a, a lot of very deeply religious Polynesian um, uh, players uh, within the environment, and how do you assure them that they are absolutely, I'm proud of the fact that they're deeply religious people and they choose to express that um, in a way that is prayer before a game or prayer after a game or you know classes, prayer classes during a tour. That's fantastic. And they were engaging and welcoming and wanted to be part of that. Um, but it was done uh, for them behind closed doors when they wanted to do it. And I think that's the piece that, in a respectful way of, they invited everybody in the team to be part of that. Anyone, religious or not, um, strong views could come to the prayer class or the prayer group and be part of that. It was an open and welcoming environment and you could choose. That's what I see as being inclusive. So that inclusive nature, regardless of what your personal beliefs are. You talk about um you know, going through this with Israel and, and things like that, but there was already an existing connection with Maria through Netball New Zealand. Was she a part of the wider circle at all? Oh, I mean, I, you know, that, that's, a, that's a difficult challenge, and I think it is one of the challenges as a leader that um, you have to balance uh, friendships and personal connections mm. with what the right thing to do is as a leader. And I got some really great advice um, from my mentor who said to me, um, you know, when you're in these positions, he said, be authentic, be real, form good relationships and friendships, but don't get so close yet that you can't kick their ass. 
and you know that that's obviously as, as an example of that is that you know ultimately I had to make a decision and, and Rugby Australia had to make a decision that was in the right interest of Rugby Australia mm. so personal relationships weren't relevant because um, and does it make it hard of course it does um, but the reality is you've got a job to do and that's what you're tasked to do and you have to step up and take that responsibility. Mm. When you look back at your experience at the Bulldogs, at Rugby Australia, your your tenure over the over the ditch, would you do it again if you if you had the chance? And they said, hey, you know, do it again. Would you? Absolutely. And why yeah. would you? Uh, because I'm a much more experienced leader now. I've had some um, met some incredible people that have taught me a lot. Uh, that um, you know, in the, it, all sorts of experiences that you get. Um, uh, when you do these types of roles, it's, it's truly incredible. The opportunities that you get to um, to meet great people all over Australia and you know you see how hard volunteers are working in you know, small places to do great things for rugby. And so I mean I wouldn't change any of those experiences. Equally, you know there were some great great times. Um, you know we were lucky to with the Bulldogs in 2014 to go to a grand final, which is just a, an experience that you can't possibly explain to, to mm -hmm. anyone the craziness of yeah. the Bulldogs fans um, when they make a grand final and painting the houses blue and white and cars blue and white and partying in the streets yeah. with drums and dancing and you know the streets blocked off because of the whole week of celebrations I mean you couldn't um, you know th those are experiences that I'll take with me forever so no I wouldn't change it of course you know would you make some decisions differently um, with the bend of hindsight of course you would and you'd be crazy to say that you wouldn't um, but overall I've I loved both roles um, I met a lot of great people and I'm a much more experienced leader because of those experiences. When you look at you know you burst on the scene with Netball New Zealand being in you know that CEO position and then you took on um, you know an NRL franchise in Rugby Australia, which is, in contrast, you know, totally opposite. Netball New Zealand is fundamentally run by women, and then you went and did the total opposite in Australia. Did you experience any sort of inequality or sexism or things like that? There were reports that that was perhaps a reason why you opted out of Australia in the end, but did you experience any of that over there? Well, interesting, I started my career... Um in corporate Australia, uh, corporate New Zealand rather, and a lot of that time I worked in, in male-dominated teams. So the whole movement from coming from, it was almost we'd go to Netball New Zealand with lots of women, <laughs> so that was more the exception. So I think then going into the environment where there was lots of men um, was not as strange as people might actually have mm. thought it was. Um, do, um, did I experience it? Um, more of it behind my back than to my face. Uh, and I think time is important. So initially there was a lot of reservation and concern both when I went to the Bulldogs about, oh my goodness, this is a woman, like what's that all about? But when you get to know people and they mm. understand who you are as a leader and what you're trying to achieve and um, recognise that you're inclusive and you want them to be successful and you're starting to build that environment, then people take a big deep breath. And that doesn't really matter whether you're female or male. Mm. That's what happens when a new leader comes into an environment because it puts people on edge. I'm not naive enough to say there wasn't an overlay of, of the whole sort of negativity. And there was some social media um, platforms that I never read. I didn't look at. I just didn't because... Um, you know, the people that don't know you have um, an agenda that is very, um, you know, sexist or misogynist, um, and that's really, and they've got no real interest in changing. Mm. But I think 
the people that you're working with every day, those are the people that you can influence to try and change those outcomes. So, um, you know, I'm not someone that um, sweats the small stuff or gets really anxious about the things that um, someone's writing on social media because I, I can't control that and they don't really know me apart from what they see on the TV or mm. or read about in the newspaper. So it's the people that I work with every day, that's the opinions, the board, the the staff that I'm working with, um, those are the opinions that I really value. Um, so yeah, there was certainly some overlay in the media environment that was certainly leading into, into some, um, you know, other people have labelled it um, that made my job um, much more challenging mm. um, but it was the people I worked with every day it was the opinion that was really important to me yeah did you get much of like a culture shock was it very different you know was the environment very different I, we've touched on you know being a woman in, in male-dominated organizations in, in Australia but was it you know very different culturally um it's interesting it's it's enormously different and not that different if that makes sense so I think um, there's no doubt it's bigger and brasher and there's more people and so that it's more transactional so but particularly Sydney because it's a big city that's that makes life very transactional so people come and go and you know, all of that so I think that's different where I think um, the talent pulls deeper so people tend to be come and go more quickly if that person's no good you get rid of that person and you get a new person we're here in New Zealand we tend to have um, and, I, and I see this a lot in our sporting environments and our sporting teams as well. Our depth is not always as great, so we can't just roll the next one off the production line. So we have to approach it in a different way. We have to nurture, we have to put our arm around them, we have to might be a bit more patient. Uh, and I think that's true in business as well. I think we're more inclusive and um, supportive and, and we look after our talent and, and make it... Um, make our talent want to stay with us for longer periods of time. So I think you see a lot of the differences, uh, interestingly, in the business environments reflected in the way we deal with our sports teams as well. Mm. And while you were in Australia, was there anybody around you, you know, like-minded like you? Were there other women in your position that you could go, you know, hey girl, how's it going? You know, <laughs> were you able to have those comfortable conversations with, with other women in your field? Well, it was, it was one of the things that I didn't realise would be so difficult um, when I first arrived in Australia. Um, the first was I had an, a really supportive and strong network here in, in New Zealand and in Auckland, and you know, that, you know, five o'clock, got time for a glass of wine, I just need to chew something over a conversation. And I arrived in Australia and I realised I didn't have any of that at all. So it did take me some time to build that up. Um, and after seven years, I had an amazing network that I will miss hugely now that I'm back here and I'm hoping that the travel bubble will open up at some stage so that we can you know still continue to engage and um, uh, you know spend time with those people but um, that was a that was something that was quite difficult to start off with um, when you don't have that safe network to have those conversations with uh, but um, I'm lucky now I think I've got two networks one in New Zealand and one in Australia and, and I know they'll continue to be valuable for me. Do you look at your position I know you're you're quite staunch on, you know, I'm not just a woman in my position, I'm here on, you know, my credentials and I'm really good at what I do. Um, but in terms of, you know, of, of this perspective, how important is it, you know, you're the CEO of Sport New Zealand, a woman, that representation, Sky Sport now has a female CEO, we look at Jenny Wiley at Netball New Zealand, how important is that in the normalising of this? Well, there's a couple of things. One is, you know, that great line, if you if you see it, you can be it. So it's that 
um, when you when young women see somebody that's being really successful, they look at it, and doesn't matter what it is, whether it's you know um, in the sporting field or administration field or a, a leadership role, and they think, I believe now, I believe that I am capable, and I can see I've got a role model where I can look at. So I think that's a that's an incredibly important part. Um, there's no doubt in an active, healthy, active sense, the woman and girls is a real focus for Sport New Zealand because it's mum that always doesn't look after herself and looks after everybody else. Mm. So how can we make sure that we have opportunities where mums um, and women and girls can have opportunities to be active? Um, we have a drop-off at about between 13 and 15, and we want to make sure that it might not be organised sport, it might be, um, but it might also be those other wellness options about... Um, you know, exercising, um, choosing healthy lifestyles because um, it's that communication and making sure that women and girls are getting the same opportunities that the men are getting. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a, an important mix. Um, New Zealand's done an amazing job of uh, promoting gender, or not even promoting gender, normalising gender. If you look at, you know, Jacinta Ardern, if you look at Governor Generals that we've had through the years mm -hmm. that have been women, um, I think we've probably had more female prime ministers near any other country in the world. I mean, that's amazing. So it normalises a whole lot of conversations for young girls coming through um, environments. Uh, and now we have to make sure that, you know, from a Sport New Zealand point of view, that they um, are getting the support that they need to, to have the, the active lifestyles that they, that they want to have. Well, I think uh, people will agree with me in saying thank you for staying in sport and we can't wait to see uh, what you do at Sport New Zealand. It's exciting stuff for the future of Thanks, sport Miranda. in this country. Thanks for having me.